This is Regenerative Skills, the podcast helping you to learn the skills and solutions to create an abundant and connected future. I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher. The Climate Farmers community is the place to be if you're working towards regenerating your farmland and business and want to learn from other farmers who are on a similar journey. Now, Europe is a very diverse continent with significant differences in biomes, landscapes, climates, cultures, languages, and context. So rather than looking further abroad for solutions, connect with others who found solutions to the challenges that are unique to us here. We have a central community chat on WhatsApp where you can ask questions, share your own observations, and simply chat with others who don't think you're crazy. We also organize regular skill exchange calls where experienced farmers share their knowledge and answer listener questions. Increasingly, we're even bringing the community offline by organizing gatherings at farms all around Europe. So if you're actively farming anywhere in Europe, you can join for free today through the website at climatefarmers.org under the For Farmers tab and click on Join the Community. And there's also a direct link through the show notes for this episode. I look forward to seeing you there. Hey there, everybody, and welcome back. Now, today's interview has been in the making for me for a couple of years now. I first got to know Michelle Reber through the Pioneer Program with Climate Farmers that I directed two years ago. Now, through that program, we guided farmers from around Europe through existing online regenerative farming courses and helped them to adapt the information and the techniques to their own businesses and context. Now, by this point, Michel had already gone through a few major transitions on his own farm and was in the process of diving deeper into soil health and improving soil function on his 200-hectare grain and silage production operation in the south of Germany. Now, during this period, and through events like the Climate Farmers Conference that we hosted for the last two years, I got to know Michel's remarkable story and to see his farm in person. Now, since a large part of what I do is centered around communicating with farmers in Europe to understand their needs and their challenges in the transition towards regenerative management of their farms, stories like Michel's are so important to highlight. There are many specific parts of what he and his family have been through that are very unique, But through all of it, I hear similarities in the journeys that other farmers are on as well. The patterns of disruption in the business that cause people to reevaluate their priorities, internal disputes that set us on a different trajectory, daily learnings and the patience needed for observation and understanding to accompany us on our learning journeys, and other events like this that really resonate with so many of us, not only farmers. Despite Michelle's self-consciousness about his level of English, he does a remarkable job in this interview in giving me a window into the changes and the adaptations that have brought him and his farm to where they are now, as well as the difficulties that they've had in the past and that they still have in getting their land on a regenerative trajectory. Now, as much as the details about soil health and the techniques that he's been trialing and the results that they've achieved, I really love the human side of this story, and I know that many of you listening will connect to it as well. Now, in the last handful of years, Michelle has also been sharing his love for the land on social media, through courses on his farm, and has just recently launched a German language podcast to help bring more knowledge about soil care and regenerative farming to his language community. So if you speak German, I really encourage you to connect with the learning resources that he's putting out, all of which I've linked to on the show notes for this episode on the website at regenerativeskills.com. Now, with all of that out of the way, let's hand things over now to Michelle Reber. Welcome, Michelle. It's great to see and talk to you again. It's been a while since we connected in person. It was back at the conference in 
in the castle in um, Schloss Kirchberg a number of months ago. But how are you doing? What's what's new with you? Well, what's new? <laughs> I already lost eight kilos since Christmas. That's, that's oh, really congratulations! <laughs> I'm looking a little bit more about myself, not not only for the farm. Yeah, but we have a, a very normal spring this year, with, which is uh, not too hot. Enough water till now. It's yeah, that's. Uh, that's just good. In the last years we had already a drought at, at this time of the year, so we're quite happy. Grains and grassland is, is growing very well. Um, we started uh, bringing out our fertilizer from a biogas plant. So now we're waiting for um, for the next window, which which is dry and warm to, to start planting corn. Yeah, that's... That's what we do at the moment. Fantastic. It's always interesting to hear how people are experiencing these changes in weather and climate patterns in different parts of Europe. Because, you know, I only have a couple of years of experience here in Spain, and I've already seen things swing from very wet to now a pretty severe drought that we're into. And hearing how this is affecting other parts of Europe is fascinating as well. And I'm also really glad to hear that you've been taking good care of your health. That's always wonderful to see. I know that's something that often gets pushed to the side when farmers get busy and the season starts. So good for you for taking care of yourself. No, that, well, that's really important. I'm I'm now 51 and <laughs> I I always spend my free time for for town council, for for other farming groups, but not for myself. That's a very common story. I hear that from so many people in our community. Um, well, so look, the things that I'm really excited to explore with you today are the story that you have told me and other members of Climate Farmers in the past. And I think it's just a very valuable perspective to share here with the podcast audience. So to get us started, can you tell me a bit about yourself and your journey into farming from the beginning? Yes, yeah, sure, no problem. My my parents built this farm where I work today uh, in 1976. They built it new outside the village, and then they specialized in breeding pigs. So they bred um, sows and boars for for other pig farmers, and they did it really well. They had very good financial results, and so I. I decided after uh, uh, after school to to study agriculture here in the south of Stuttgart, and yeah, there where I get to know my wife. Then and yeah, we we there we studied for years, and for me it was clear when I come back to the farm we. Um, we grow this farm. We we build barns for more pigs. So the, the the classical conventional farmer's way, the young farmer comes back, or the, or comes to the farm, and then we we make the next step. We we get bigger and bigger. And so so I build barns every second year. Uh, we doubled the size of the the pig herd. Yeah, and it was still. Um, 
Yeah, very. We had still very good financial results, but the the last barn we built in two thousand and five, and in January two thousand six, we get a, a bad disease in our pig herd, which meant that we we lost sixty percent of our clients, which were dependent on breeding pigs free from this disease, and so the this was really a, a hard crash, a, a hard financial crash. Uh, which we are fighting still tomorrow, uh, today, with. But yeah, it it was good for me this crash to uh, to start thinking: are there are there other ways? Yeah, and to to farm because the the model which I based my investments on is was just gone. Yeah, and uh, so I had to look left and right the the old way I, I was going. And so we built a, a biogas plant in 2009, which I was, uh, yeah, it was in my mind since I was uh, leaving school to have something where I produce with what I have on my farm, which I produce energy with. And on the other side, I produce some fertilizers and some organic natural fertilizer for my fields to get independent of external inputs on the farm yeah. and the the german year regulation for regenerative energy is was um very interesting at that time 2009 so we built this biogas plant but we built it together with the local energy supplier the, the stadtwerke is it called here so we produce till today we produce the gas here on the farm and we we deliver the gas to the town where the the gas is um, brought into an engine like diesel or like uh, other energy or like gas, yeah. and the engine produces on the on the one hand produces um, energy, strom, electricity, yeah, yeah and right. and you have to cool the the engine, yeah, like like in a normal uh, vehicle too and this heat is is the other 50 percent of energy which we produce and and the heat has to be used because it's uh, biogas is a very expensive regenerative energy so the the heat can be used in town with a with a local heat net yeah and that's that's why we produce the energy there where the heat is needed and not here on the farm so we just the, the uh, energy supplier build a, a gas pipe with eight kilometers in the town, through the town, and yeah, that's that's what we do today. The the pigs left the farm in two thousand sixteen after yes a lot of uh, restructurings, but yeah, the, we we never get it uh, financially round the pig so i decided in 2016 to stop pig production because um yeah the the if you produce breeding pigs you can give the pigs more space you have to give them more space to get a good breeding quality but from the day where we stopped breeding we had to to put in as many pigs at uh, as we were allowed to hold on on this place to to get it financially around and and everyone in my family 
said after two years, this is not how we want to to hold animals. Yeah, this, this, that's nothing which where we were satisfied with. So it was at the end, it was really easy to to let the pigs go, but the the step to to stop breeding was was harder because yeah you you had a name as a breeder here in the region to stop this was was much harder than at the end to stop fattening pigs production yeah this this wasn't hard at all because yeah if you get it in mind that you are not uh, a traditional pig producer as most of the farmers were here um, you ha you have to to find to you have to make decisions yeah this and sometimes they are hard they are they were really financially hard here for the farm but we we were lucky to have the the other options with the with the biogas plant this is fascinating and that's a really good overview of how your farm has evolved over the last basically 20 years, right? Starting from what you were talking about and coming back to the farm in 2005 and no, going nine, from 1979. Well, and, yeah, 79, uh, 2005, we, we built yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm talking about the, the transition period yeah. and the big changes that have happened from going to a pig breeding operation to now primarily producing biogas, which is no small change. Now let's go deeper into some of these decisions and the mindset as well as the, the conversations that needed to happen to make these choices. Because this is what I think a lot of farmers can maybe relate to or understand when difficult decisions and, and big choices need to be made and you know you have to consider other people's feelings. You have to consider the finances. You have to consider your own hopes and needs for the farm in the future. So let's start first of all when you came back. So when you came back from university, you were convinced that you were going to scale up this pig breeding operation. You told me you were building a new barn like every second year or so. So this is really fast expansion, and that your projections for the future completely crashed when there was a disease that came through the herd that caused you to lose your main client base and reconsider the financial structure of the farm. And that this was your motivation to consider a different enterprise, which is the biogas plant. But I wanna understand, you know, what you were thinking when this was happening, I can only imagine the stress that you must have been under when you started to really lose the financial base of the farm. But you also said that you had this idea in your mind from the beginning of trying to produce energy and kind of close the loops on your farm. Now, I, I believe I understand correctly from how you've explained this to me in the past, because I've had the pleasure of visiting your farm but you didn't have the 200 hectares that you manage now when you were primarily breeding pigs, right? That came on later when you got into the biogas plants contract and you, you leased all of these other hectares to produce the grain and the silage that then feeds the biogas plant. Is that correct? Yeah, it's mostly correct. The, the, uh, the land, grew up already earlier. So we had in 2006, we had 140,000, 140 hectares. And in 
in 2009, we had here, a, a, how do you call it, a land uh, renovation or, yeah, the, the fields were put together to, to larger units. Mm -hmm. And this is mostly a time where older farmers, which have no uh, next generations uh, on the farm, stop farming and, and lease their land to, to the other farmers who, who go on. And this, this was a, a chance for us to get more land. And uh, at this time, prices for, for grain were really down and, and wasn't really interesting. So so biogas was was an option to get um, the new land more rentable. So yeah, we we built it in two thousand nine. Yeah, and to, to to go two steps back, my my wife never went uh, into the the stables to the pigs. She she told me already at university I don't want to work with pigs. I I don't like pigs. Yeah, so. Uh, first, when she, she married a pig farmer, <laughs> yeah, she she went uh, to work outside the farm, and, and I made the decisions on the farm, and so we lived um, more besides each other, not but not together, really, not not really together, sure. yeah. But uh, she always asked me, "Is it necessary to to build another barn?" Is really necessary, so I, I calculated it. I showed her, yeah, it's it's it makes sense financially, but I, I never thought about it. Does it make sense for me? Does it make sense for the family? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I there was a step in between where I was dependent on uh, more working capacity from outside. Yeah. So so we we. Got in an, another farmer who, who stopped farming. We rented his land and he worked here in with the pigs. But yeah, you, you have to pay him yeah every day. And yeah. this uh, decision, I, I thought it, no problem. But the, the, the problem started when, when we stopped breeding because we had, an, we had much higher uh, rentability with with breeding pigs than with, with fattening pigs. And yeah. So, this was behind and in 2008 i i really <laughs> talked to my wife uh, honestly I, I i told her i we have big problems and she she knew we had big, big financial problems but uh, i have the problem that that i recognize that uh, holding pigs like this is not that thing i i really wanted to do and i I always was a how do you call it an, an arable farmer. I, I always was more likely on the fields than than in the barn. So, but with seventy hectares, when I started, um, how, how can you make it um, profitable? Yeah, to yeah. work with seventy hectares. If you are in the conventional mindset, yeah, you you have to make more more land, but. As you said, the the, the lease, leasing prices for land is very expensive here in the region, with not very good soil quality. So yeah, the the biogas plant was the chance to um, yeah to to make the farm survive. Yeah, that's that's 
what, what we really know. And we have to, to make it another 10 years to, to bring the, the old investments back to the bank. Yeah. So. yeah. Yeah, this is really interesting. And if I remember how you described it to me when you were giving me a tour of the farm, First of all, the difference between how you manage the pigs to breed them and how you manage to fatten them is night and day difference. And this is why you became so uncomfortable with that way of taking care of them. And it, the way you told me was that it even came down to a conversation with your wife who basically threatened to leave you if you continued to farm pigs this way because she was so uncomfortable with how they were being kept and you weren't loving it either. Can you describe the difference of taking care of pigs for breeding and fattening them and why this was so difficult for all of you? Well, if, if, if you do a, a breeding pigs, so it doesn't depend on if it's pigs or cows. If, if you're a breeder, you have to, to look, yeah, does the, the father fit to the mother sow? And you have to, you're really more forced to think about everything, what you're doing and, if you do fattening picks, you just have to look, do you have enough average daily gain? Do you have, um, the feed has to be calculated very exactly, but but then it's it's easy. Yeah? The, the technique is feeding the pigs. You just have to look every day, is everything good? But yeah, I am someone who, even if I'm doing the, the conventional operation with the pigs, if I go in there, I I see that they are not lucky, yeah, in this conventional system. Yeah, the, there's something missing. Yeah. And that's if if you go out in the evening and you're not satisfied with the work you're doing, yeah, that's that's the problem. And uh, if you recognize if if I recognize that that I have made investments with about yeah. Nearly one million euros in pigs, and you go out in the evening and you think, yeah, you did it, you did it wrong. The, the decisions were not right. Yeah, that's 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 hard to to handle with. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Like you were talking about how the enterprises made sense financially. I mean, less so with the fattening operation, but it didn't feel right to you, and it didn't align with what your priorities were, what your family cared about. And this is just not the type of farming that you wanted to be involved with. Is this around the time when you started to look into other options beside the biogas plant, but actually ecological ways of farming? Or did this come later? No, this was later. We built the biogas plant in 2009. And I, I made another mix, mistake that I went into a corporation which made the the arable land together, we were five farmers together, 500 hectares, also made financially sense, but but I gave out all the decisions, what, what we were doing on the fields. And I recognized in, this was 2010, I want to focus on, on this new uh, part of the farm, the biogas plant. And I wanted to, to save the pigs at that moment to make it rentable, but yeah, um, or financially sensible, how do you call it? Yeah, profitable. Profitable, yes. <laughs> right, thank you. Um, and so I decided to 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 
give out the, the farming on the fields. And I always already recognized in 2011, 12, um, they, they didn't make it good. They, 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 the other four were farming on much better land than I have. And it didn't either make uh, financially sense and it stressed me a lot to, to control what, what they were doing on the fields. Yeah. And in this time, I, I could have made it myself, but I, the, the corporation was that way that all the machines went in there. So I, I, I didn't have any machines for on my own, just a small tractor to, to look after the grassland we have, uh -huh. but nothing else. So yeah, this was really hard to get out there. I had then in 2014, the chance uh, to, to get another employee. So we stopped um, this corporation and, and made it again, at, starting from the 1st of July, 2015, to, to make our arable production again on my own. And the other problem was this this rapidly changing climate here in this region here. We, when you look here on the, the wood is uh, in the west of the farm. And uh, it's like a, a U around the farm, this, this wood. You've got like a U-shaped forest that circles yeah. around the fields, is what you mean? So in, in summer, um, every rain which comes from southwest, where we normally get our weather from, from the west or southwest, if you were waiting for rain in our region, it never comes. It comes 10 kilometers east. And this was the starting in 2012 to to look after other ways to how to manage soil we're we're already working without plows since uh, 35 years but with my knowledge of uh, working without plow from studies and and, and reading um i was i was finished and there were there were no solutions to 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 handle this this dramatic climate change yeah and so I started uh, looking, uh, looking some field days in 2013, and then I made a, a so-called uh, soil course, uh, which two two guys, two um, organic farmers, offer here in Germany since 2012, which was five times two days over one season, starting from August till summer. And this was this was really the game changer here in my mind, and also for the farm and the family's life. Yeah, to to look there, uh, totally focused only ten days of what's happening in the soil. Yeah, and this was totally different from from what I learned um, in four years of studying agriculture. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. So before we get into this new understanding about soil health that came from these new courses that you took, let's go further into the decisions around putting in the biogas plant, because you talked about this was a very pragmatic decision for you. It was something you had been interested in, but ultimately you needed to financially save the farm. And this was a way that you saw of doing it because at the time, the price of grain sold to the normal market was just too low to be financially viable. But by having a biogas plant on your site and basically value adding the grain and the silage that you produced, 
the numbers came out correctly and it was something that you felt more comfortable with both you and your family in comparison to the the pig operation right yeah how did that contract come about uh, i would imagine it's quite a big partnership with the company that installs this and if i remember correctly as well you had to commit to was it 20 or 25 years of of, of a set price contract in order for them to install this yeah this um this rule or this renewable energy um contract is a, a fixed price for for the energy i i sell for 20 years without any price increase or decrease behind or um do you call it also inflation Inflation. Yeah, yeah, inflation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What would you have at the, at the moment? Yeah, where the prices for for corn silage, which we buy from from other farmers, increased now in two years for more than twenty five percent. And and the price for energy is still the same uh, as two thousand nine when we started. So this was yeah. We hoped we we can. Uh, finance this biogas plant over the 20 years with this price yeah so we're quite happy about it it's just working yeah but the the air to breathe is is getting smaller yeah right so the profit in this over 25 years has shrunk significantly because of the raise in prices from the feed cost the, the corn silage like you said and yeah. the price of energy has not changed but Am I correct in saying you're, you're well? No, if you installed this in what did you say, twenty thousand nine? Okay, so you're still a little ways away from finishing the twenty year contract. What yeah. changes at the end of twenty years? Do you get to charge a different price? How does that look? No, we already started um, three years ago to um, sell our energy. Um, more flexible so so we produce okay. um, electricity not 24 hours uh, 30 uh, 365 days a year so you know now we produce energy or electricity when the electricity net is needs it so if we have a lot of wind energy in the net the uh, uh, electricity prices are low so we don't produce electricity when the price is low. So we just produce when we get good prices. And we have to make some investments again now, next year, um, to to use this um, more efficiently. Yeah, so we have to, to build bigger engines, which then just run four hours a day. Okay. Just to get the, the best electricity prices. Got this it. Is, so this is more of a responsive model because there are so many different energy producing apparatuses in the German grid that yeah. when those are online, the price drops to a point where it's not feasible. And I assume you have some sort of automation, some mechanization that tracks this and then only sells or turns your engines on to create electricity for the grid when the prices are worthwhile. Yeah, when... We have a contract with an energy trader, and he he decides to start the engines and to stop them. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I just have to lift the hardware. The rest is their job.
So they they, they do it from uh, from the north of Germany, yeah, eight hundred kilometers away. They they just start the engines and stop it. And yeah. yeah, that that's that's really cool. But it's it's absolutely necessary to to run this um, uh, profitable. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. All right, so. The machinery is one part, that's the value added portion, but the inputs to that machinery are what you grow. This is what you manage on your farm. And this is what you have started to do differently from, I assume, moving away from that cooperative that took the decision-making power on how the land was managed away from you. And you talked about having learned more about soil health from these courses back in 2012, 2013. Tell me about how the management of the land has evolved since then. Yeah, we're, we're working every year hard on this to, to get it better. But, um, the, the, the biogas plant is a big chance because we can, we can grow much more mixed crops. So we have more varieties in the season, not, not uh, every year another crop. For me, it's much more profitable to, to grow more varieties together. So um, rye is growing together with hairy vetch. Um, Tritty kale is growing with winter peas, which it's it's important that, that the legumes grow uh, together with, with the grain up. Um, yeah, this year we start our first trials we made some trials, but in a bigger way with, with 50 hectares, not uh, growing corn alone, but corn together with sorghum, uh, sunflowers, uh, peas, beans. Yeah, a, a big mixture. Because what I see after the last five years, everything which is where, where more varieties are growing together, the, it's for me less input. Yeah, it 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 needs less fertilizer. It needs mostly no other chemical inputs. the The only chemical input we do at the moment is a, a little amount of thirty to uh, twenty to thirty kilos of nitrogen for for the start, and a herbicide in in corn. That's that's the only thing we do at the moment which comes from outside. We're, we're trying a lot of uh, non-chemical things like uh, biologicals, yeah, bacteria, mycorrhizas, thing like, things like this. But the, the, the goal is even not to buy this again. The, the, systems, the system runs on its own. The last years, we, we had about 50% of the arable land with corn and the other 50% was grain and pretty kale and dry. And now we we also brought in 25% of um, grass clover mixture, which we then want to use two, three, five years without any tillage yet to this this is the other important thing to to reduce tillage. This is what this heavy clay soils here uh, really thank you. Yeah if if you leave them alone, just leave them alone. Yeah. And yeah, do as as little as possible uh, disturbance in the soil. And we, we normally we know it, but uh, it's difficult to to bring it in a system which has to produce 
uh, uh, an amount of um, yield. Yeah, we we need a special amount of yield. We 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 can't uh, afford one year where, where we don't harvest very much. The last year, twenty two. Uh, showed us hardly what what happens if we don't harvest enough. But it, it, this was not a problem of my farm, but this was a problem of the region of the drought last year mm. in the summer. And so we we need to build crops which use the water very efficient. And what I see the last years we have um, the the rain is the amount of rain in the year is still the same. E even some some years it's it's higher than than earlier in my life, but the rain the the time changes. Yeah, we we had now from from the middle of September till now um, nearly six hundred millimeters of rain, which is really really high. Yeah, but in summer like what we get over the yeah. entire year here. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, on a good year. Really, yeah. <laughs> It's it's even very much for us, yeah. But we need this. This is why we we brought in this this clover grass mixture to to have crops that that use this rain in the winter to produce biomass, which we can harvest. Yeah, yeah. So stepping back a little bit, let me know if I understood this correctly. The reason why you're able to grow such a variety on your fields is because you're producing for the biogas plant, which doesn't care about individual species of plants. What it consumes is biomass. It's fermenting that and turning that into the biogas. So it could be corn silage, it could be triticale, it could be anything that you put in your cover crop mix. And as a result, this favors a diverse mixture on your fields, not only because all of its biomass and can be utilized, but because it helps you to reduce fertilizer inputs, uh, crop protection measures like, like herbicides, pesticides and such. And you're starting to see an ecological response on the fields by bringing in this diversity, correct? Yeah, that's absolutely right. And you described right. some of the other differences that you've seen since you started to make this change both in the climate, but also on the field. Can you describe how your fields, especially your soil looked like before you started to make these changes and the differences that you notice now after you've changed some of the management? Yeah, well, we, as, as we said earlier, we have here a very heavy clay soils with really high magnesium rates between 20 and 30% of magnesium, which which makes this soil so heavy and we call it uh, minute soils because um, one day it's it's too wet, it's, uh, it's very moist and then you have two days of 30 degrees and then the soil um, cracks Oh, like cement. You, yeah. can, you can look down to Africa here in, in this soil. Oh, wow. So it, like, it cleaves, it like splits open. Yeah. Wow. That's right. And that's that's what what I was used to, that these soils look like this. Yeah, they have to look like this. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it's but, normal. But we, we started the, after this, this soil course to make other soil analysis, this, this Albrecht analysis. And then, then I was told um, 
yeah, you have to to bring in gypsum. You have to to bring in elementary sulfur to to get out these these high magnesium rates. And now, what I see now, even if this in this very dry year to twenty two, on my fields there were no um, cracks. Oh, how yeah. do you call it? The cracks. Yeah, the, the the soil was was closed even there if there was no water in there and two meters away in neighbor's field yeah the, it was it was crazy yeah there was uh, 20 or 20 centimeters and then was a crack with five centimeters and was then was the other the next portion of soil <laughs> and this wow. is what what That's really um yeah what what the colleagues Asked me that now after ten years, what 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 I'm doing? That, that <laughs> only after that ten doesn't... years, we're doing good. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really early. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this this is what what changes in um, obviously what, what what we mostly don't see is what what happens in in soil biology and yeah. um, our cornfields. There's we didn't do anything since uh, seeding the cover crops in, in July till now. Now, now they're getting green, but the, the plowed fields also are getting green, but with uh, grass, which we, which they don't need. So they have, the fields look the same, but they, they were plowing, they were destroying soil structure and I didn't do anything. The, the, the earthworms uh, are happy with it. They have something to eat. They are, they are draining the water, we, we still have, uh, no water standing on the fields because the the worms drained the field. Yeah, the roots also drained the field. It's properly the... infiltrating even into yeah. this heavy clay. Yeah, but yeah, this, it's difficult to to recognize for, for others. <laughs> sure, no, no, but I know exactly what you're That's talking. No about. problem. The infiltration I... rate of soil is crucial, especially yeah. when, like you were describing you're getting more rain in a shorter period of time and larger dry spells. This is exactly why it's important. Yeah, and we had, this year we had in, in March, we had two thunderstorms, which is absolutely not normal for our, our region. They Normally they start in, in May. Mm. And there the, the plowed fields and yeah, they had a, a good frost structure. And now the structure is gone after these thunderstorms. We had a lot of erosion already in March, which is also not not normal. I have a field where I um, uh, seed seeded the oats in in the beginning of March, and the, the next field, the hill up, is is a a field grass field, and, and the water came out from the from the grass, which is not normal, and it it ran down nearly 20 meters in my field and then it drained yeah it didn't it didn't go away even if there was there were no plants at the moment yeah? and it was just the oats seeded but the water infiltrated in my field where there was no green plants and, and came out from uh, from a green field yeah wow that's amazing okay so there was grass already on the field up above your place yeah. It was unable to absorb the water from the, the yeah. thunderstorm. It ran off over a green field and fully absorbed into your bare field because the structure of your soil has been improved that much. 
Yeah, this is a, it also was a blessing for me because normally when when the the, the field uh, has no green plants, it's it's really uh, yeah, it's naked. Yeah, you, yeah you it's know. vulnerable. Yeah, but the, the water drained in, and this was yeah, was. A, you are you harvesting say? your <laughs> your neighbor's water. Well done. <laughs> At least you're not letting it run away. Good job. Yeah. Okay, so aside from the percolation rate, like we mentioned, uh, what are some of the other indicators that you are observing or looking for year to year that tell you whether things are improving, whether you need to still do more work, or if things are not going in the direction that you want to see? What What are those key indicators for you? Well, what, what, what works good is what we see last year, we were the, the last ones to, to harvest corn for silage. Uh, all the other fields were, were dry. Yeah, there was nothing green. And my fields, the the corn just dried down normally, even if there was no water left in the soil. This um, is last year from the droughts that you experienced. Yeah, from the drought. The only problem was that that I planted the corn too late last year, and I normally start planting end of April, beginning of May. And last year it was good to to plant earlier, two weeks earlier. And then the their corn was three meters high. Mine was two to two and a half meters high. But but I had corn. They they just had the plants. Yeah. Right, um, and yours was still photosynthesizing. It still had enough moisture. Yeah, that's that's that was really interesting. But the, the yields were the same. Yeah, they Got were it. not. Better, but the the silage quality was definitely better. Yeah. Okay. Um, what we have to do, and this is what I already changed. Yeah, we have to to have more varieties, um, not only grain and corns, but we we have to to make it safe that. At the end of the year, uh, my silos are full. Yeah. So, yeah, as you said, the, for the, the for the biogas plant, it's it's not dependent, uh, not important to have just corn in the silos. We need biomass. In grain or corn silage is surely per ton. You have the the best gas results, mm-hmm. but yeah. In the end, if I have t- thousand tons more in the silo, if I have more varieties on the field, I have the same. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Uh, okay, so yield is certainly one of those metrics. What else are you testing for? What are you measuring that tells you that things are moving in a good direction? Yeah, we we started some some Haney test last year. This year, we want to start. Um, and the Haney test measures the biology in the soil. Is that correct? Yeah, but we, I'm not quite as good with all of the different tests, the lab tests there. Yeah, I haven't done many of them. Yeah, it's it's difficult to 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 handle all these things, but because I I run this farm on my own, just with a, a helping man working 35 hours in the month here. But yeah, so I have to focus on on the daily work. Yeah. Um, testing very much at the moment I, I try what I try is to to combine as much as possible in in one drive over the field so when I, I 
when I seed the grain, I try to combine it with a, a liquid uh, biological treatment in the seed row. We, we bring in with the second tank of a drill some elementary sulfur or, or other um, uh, concrete fertilizer. Or, yeah, how do you? Yeah, and we, we we have three tanks on the drill, so we can we can drill in three different heights of the soil. We can bring in liquids in all in this one pass as much as possible, and we have some some yeah already ready mixed uh, biologicals which we bring in which show very good results at the moment yeah the uh, the grain it looks very um, healthy it's, it's growing starting very well in spring without uh, any fertilizer some fields have even don't have fertilizer at the moment but it's still green they are not hungry so there's happening very much in this these ready mixed products, there are also very cheap ones mm -hmm. to get. So this is what I, what I'm looking for to, to combine as much as possible when I drive over the fields. Got it. Got it. What yeah, what you also can see if you go in with a spade in the soil structure. Yeah. Okay, so soil structure is another indicator for you that things are improving. Can you describe Definitely. the change in the structure that you've observed since you've started to manage your soils differently? Yeah, normally on these heavy clay soils, you, you're used to to dig deep, um, to bring in the air again, because it's that's the biggest problem of the biogas plant. You have this, this heavy harvest machinery every year in the field. Yeah, the, the what do you call it, chopper? Thanks. Who, who cuts the, the grain and the corn. Uh, the harvester? Uh, Just harvester, yeah. Yeah. And, and and all the tractors with the trailers who, who transport. Oh, yeah, yeah. Away with, which are each between 30 and 40 tons on uh, on eight wheels. Mm -hmm. this, is, this is really hard. And if it's too wet, yeah, you, you just press out the air of the soil. Yeah, yeah. And if you don't dig deeper normally, yeah, the, the air is gone. Yeah, the, you you had, you need another dry year that the the soil goes up again and the air goes in. So, so most of them uh, dig very deep, plow very deep to bring in air again. So we we are just doing it with a with a strip till machine. So we have uh, just nine rows on on three meters where we do a small the small leading time of of two centimeters and bring the seed uh, just beneath this uh, strip so that the roots can grow down immediately. So Without we have to disturb all of the no, soil. No, no till. Yeah. We we are doing some yeah it's it's a strip till what we do, what we are doing, but we are not uh, loosening all the, the soil on, on, on 20 centimeters, which needs yeah. a lot of energy. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and so the structure as, that you've observed over time has been indicative of, well, first the the soil holding together with the the biofilms, the the exudates from bacteria and such that keep it together even when it's wet, while yeah. also opening up pores and channels for air and water to penetrate down 
which is otherwise you know impossible for these compacted heavy clay soils that you see on your neighbor's farm or the way it used to look before you started changing your methods right yeah that, that's right um, our problem here is we we harvest at the moment everything we, we have no residue left just just the stubbles and the roots yeah but but we have no uh, layer above which um saves the soil from sun and and heavy rain so we have to do everything to get as much roots as, as possible and to to leave these roots after harvest there where they are to to yet to hold the soil together if, right. if there comes a heavy rain so this is where we use um uh, our guiding system from the tractor so we, we when we see the, the next crop we just uh, drive 17 centimeters left or right uh, beneath the, the last year's row so, so you leave, don't have the same channels over and over again yeah just we, we leave the old row where it is as mm -hmm. as an armor for the for the soil um and just sit in between there. Yeah. So I hope you, you could understand. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. Um, man, I, look, so we could go really deep into the changes of management, the way that you are currently working to conserve your soil, improve its structure, its health, its microbial activity. But I also want to dig into one of the aspects that you've done extremely well since starting this transition, which is difficult for a lot of people. And that's the community aspect. First, before we go into all of the work that you're doing with the community right now and education, I would like to understand how the community around you responded when you first started to make these what seemed like radical changes from what is normal in your area. Did you have any pushback? Did you have any skepticism from your neighbors? How was that perceived in in the town where you live? Yeah, at, at that time, at that time where we started these these changes on the fields, I was very active in in social media. So uh, my my goal was to show it to the normal people that what what a conventional farmer is doing to to change things because. Uh, what we can see in television or read in the newspapers is our conventional farmers are bad. They are destroying our environment. They are destroying our soils. And I wanted them to show that there are enough farmers who who care very carefully for for the soil. Mm. And, and changes they they change. They 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 are not doing the same like thirty years ago. Um, this is what this was the the first response. I also asked the, the local radio, "Do you want to?" Uh, I'm doing something different. Are you interested in this? And this um, also the the newspaper. They are they are very lucky if if there's a farmer who shows them as a farmer what what he's doing. Yeah, and mm -hmm. this is where we are as farmers. Uh, much too quiet. Where we we have to show them what we are doing, and and they are. They they were all really happy about any information directly from a farmer. Yeah, but this was the first reaction, which was very positive. Till now, um, from the farmers' 
side here in 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 my neighborhood they this was totally different they um if someone is changing the, the conventional system and he's going out with this information to uh, to the other people um so they are they feel under pressure that there's someone telling the, the people that it's possible to change something yeah and most of uh, we we farmers were um very conservative in our thinking because yeah we we, we want to conserve what we have our land our farm uh, which is not meant bad from me but um we are forced to change things we're forced by climate we are forced by uh government we are forced by the, by the people around us to change things so i there's so many pressures and, yeah yeah we're always telling we're uh, entrepreneurs as farmers but we, then we have to do something we have to change something yeah every uh, yeah everyone who wants to farm in the next 20 years has to change something yeah we, so i just wanted to show that, that there are options also for us farmers um to to run the enterprises still profitable without this high external inputs yeah yeah and, yeah a lot of them felt yeah really um, under pressure from from what i did but there were a lot of young farmers asking mostly over instagram then what what are you doing different can you different what can you show us yeah and mm -hmm. this is where we started then in 2019 to make here some seminars on our farm which wasn't which was absolutely not planned yeah but <laughs> this was a, a really cool uh, uh, experience for, for me and my wife because for for me and my wife it was the first thing we did together on the farm yeah these, these seminars and um it also was so interesting because some 50 percent of those who came here were under 30 years old the, the next generation and this is what what made it so senseful for for us to to make these seminars <laughs> running that that normal farm besides yeah um in addition to this and yeah this, the the reactions were so really positive for them to to get uh, informations how they can run their their traditional farms from from their parents and grandparents and most even longer that they get a chance and, and get some knowledge how to to fit to all these restrictions from from outside yeah and this um it's crazy to to, to that i as a farmer have has have to tell them what, what options there are because nobody else tells us now now there are more options yeah to get informations but at that time yeah, there was these these soil courses with, which were very special, and what what the young guys learn at school, even at at, at university about um, soil, etc., is still the same as, as 30, 40 years ago. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's the biggest problem we have. Yet yeah, government tells us what we are not allowed to do, but nobody tells us what how we can make the change. 
as fun potential is yeah what could go right yeah yeah well i mean it, it's been fascinating to watch not only the journey that you've been on since we started to connect early on during the pioneer program uh, but also the involvement in education, in the community around you, the collaborations with Schloss Kirchberg and uh, putting yourself out there, publishing your journey and sharing the, the mistakes as well as the learnings and the successes. I mean, this is a really dynamic, not only farm, but industry to be in right now. Just like you said, there are pressures from outside, from the government. There's changes in the climate to consider. The market is extremely volatile. You're in quite a unique situation with having this biogas plant, which is different from many farmers. And the, the situation in your area has been pretty challenging too. You were telling me recently about the increase in the leasing prices of land, potentially threatening your grain operation. Maybe just give me an, an idea of some of the, the challenges that you face right now in what it is you're trying to accomplish. Yo, <laughs> what are my challenges? Yeah, the, the biggest challenge is still to to get all these old uh, investments back. Yeah, this is uh, when when this is finished, we we have really <laughs> reached a lot. Um, this is the biggest challenge till now is because these these old investments without um, a production behind this is really hard to handle with. Yeah, the, the the land renting prices is yeah at the moment it, it doesn't uh, rise up. Business, it has stopped a little bit. I hope. Yeah. Maybe it's it's Fingers starting crossed. again. But what what we see here in the region is that uh, uh, pig price is now three years uh, really down. How how many farmers uh, just stop farming and this is. Uh, a lot of people leaving. A lot of other farmers, farmers, they are happy about it. They can they can rent the land, but I I say with every farm that that stops, that there dies something in this region. Yeah, and this this is yeah. what we what we have to learn also as farmers that that is important that you have other farmers around you because if you are the last one in your village, it's it's not better for you. Yeah. Yeah. And. Having Even access here. to more land comes with a compromise of having nobody else around to share ideas with, talk yeah. about what's going on. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a big part of the culture of your area as well that's starting to die out. Yeah, and as as you can see behind me, yeah, this 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 drive between the wood and and the the grassland with with these uh, trees, yeah, with this uh, apple trees and, and pear trees. Um, this is. The culture, the the culture land here, yeah. And if there's nobody left there who can who looks after the trees, they just die. And and most of other farmers are happy with every tree that that's gone. But with every tree that is gone, there's there's leaving much more. Yeah? And this is what what we have to learn as farmers again that that this is important. This is why we started this this mini agroforestry project behind me. To bring in trees and now with um, um, some bushes with uh, other fruits between which we can see, which you can see here on the photo yeah just to to bring back more diversity even in in my farm yeah but most of 
of us farmers here, they, they produce milk, they produce meat, and most of them even don't have a garden left, so that they are not able to to feed their own family. And this is what, what we want to change, what, where I'm very happy about that, that my son and his girlfriend started to garden again, yeah, to, mm. to produce their own food. And this is where I'm very happy about that the next generations not uh, are very more concerned about what they eat. Yeah, and this is yeah. something which what I think is, is really changing now and what, what is a big chance for, for us farmers. Yeah, what, what do we have to, to use? But yeah, it, it's we, we will have totally different concepts from farming uh, till it was till now. Yeah, and what what other challenges do we have? Yeah, well, um, we have to to change something at the biogas plant to produce um, more flexible this electricity. So we have to to store the gas. We need a, a bigger gas storage system. Uh, which is not easy here in in this landscape to to get um, through to that you can build it, but you you have to just to tell them yeah we have now this energy crisis since fourteen months if it, if it is not able to to build a, a gas storage system here, um, so we we have to import it from somewhere else it's just crazy that, that you have still to discuss things like this. Yeah, this is the, this is the, the biggest problem, but it's it's a big chance for us to to run the biogas plant from now on another twenty years, not only till twenty thirty. Okay. So the the old investment is um, is more profitable because it it's could leave uh, could stay more than ten years longer. Got it. Got it. And so in twenty years, I'm I'm old enough to <laughs> to, to leave. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we have to look. It's um, our son is very interested at the moment in in this um, garden production. He he always told me, "I never make a farm like you did it in this big size." They want to make it small, and I'm very ha happy about it. To have no son who stands here, father, let's build another biogas plant. Or let's build another barn. <laughs> I'm very happy about this. So we didn't do anything wrong. Um, yeah, and uh, I don't know what what our daughter will do. She's very interested in cooking, baking, which is, is also interesting. But she's she's 15 now. Yeah, so there's nobody of them is forced to to run this farm. I have uh, me and my wife. We have enough uh, things to to regulate the, the next 10 years on our own but everybody's welcome to to take over this farm it's for me it's not impo uh, important that, that my kids do it but i want to have a farm which uh, where i can say in 10 15 20 years this is a farm where anybody who wants can can start the next enterprise nice yeah that's that's beautiful and so, okay, so with all of these challenges that you mentioned, as well as the the trajectory that you're on, where do you see hope? Because I know you're doing a lot of different experiments right now, and you know these are updating all the time. You showed us a little bit about your trials with agroforestry when I went to visit. 
And I can only assume you're doing a lot of different trials on the fields themselves to continue to improve the soil health and your yields. Tell me a little bit about what you're playing with. What your what sort of mad scientist experiments are you up to right now? Yeah, well, we we, we really want to um, implement this this agroforestry systems in really bigger scale now on on arable land with five to eight hectares. We want to to grow up hedges in, in a larger scale, and yeah, we want to look. We have 22 hectares of grassland where where the trees are very old. How yeah, we have to uh, show the the environmental environmental government here that that you can grow trees also like this that you can use the rest of the grassland uh, profitable. Yeah, because the the old trees they are growing yeah six nine meters beneath the other one it's it's really difficult to to work there to to make hay it's, it's important to to grow to make silage in because we you don't come get in there with this big machinery but we have to show them it's um, possible to to save the trees but but we have to make it different than, than we did in the last hundred years yeah and this is what what I think the next two years we want to implement the trees on the on the arable land, more trees on the grassland, but a different way. Um, the hedges. This is what I think will come the next two years, and then my my biggest goal is to to have an organic no-till system. <laughs> yeah, that's that's uh, the the precedent. That's, that's something to shoot for. That's, That's the holy grail of, of arable cropping <laughs> aspirations. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Well, man, the, there's so much more that we could go into detail about, but uh, maybe we'll leave this for another session. And I also know that you recently started a podcast where you are explaining your entire journey and interviewing new people. Tell me a little bit about the, the podcast project and what you're hoping to do with that. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, well, as between Christmas and New Year, you normally uh, reflect yourself and think about what what will you change the next year. Um, mostly, you think about losing some kilograms of your body, <laughs> especially <laughs> after Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but I decided um, to reduce my my time in in social media apps over the day. Um, but what I, what I recognized the last three years, how I get to information is audiobooks and, and podcasts. And the, the biggest problem for me is, and for, for most other farmers, is that the good ones are in English. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I decided together with my wife, we, we want to make a podcast in German. We the the first goal was to make a, a soil podcast in German. So the, the podcast is called Boden und Leben, Soil and Life, Soil Life. Um, now we make, just made three episodes, uh, one of my own. The second one was, was with my wife, which was very special to interview my wife. And the third one was with a farmer from 
the south of Austria from the highest farm in 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 Steiermark in Austria, uh, which is totally different from from this region here. He he was here and, and visited my farm and then Schloss Kirchberg. He made a, a cinema film about his farm. Mm. Um, but but our stories are the same. Yeah, we we had a, we had a financial crash. We had a he had a more hard uh, mental crash, and now I think the the podcast will, I think, go more in these things like uh, what what's going on in with the people on the farm. What what do they they think? And yeah, not not only asking the farmer, but also asking his wife or or the other way around uh, to get more. Um, yeah, how do you call it? The, the, the human side of the, the people, yeah, but not only the farm and the facts, how many hectares, how many yield, this is not important. There, there will be episodes around soil anyway, yeah, and that's that's clear. But I think that the people behind is, is so much more interesting what what I see in, in, in yeah, maybe yeah, it's, it's, it depends on my age. So you think about <laughs> other things as 10 years ago. But um, yeah, this is what, what we want to show. Um, I think English episodes will be <laughs> exceptional. <laughs> but yeah, That's super was... exciting. I mean, I wish I could understand German to, to listen to your podcast. Maybe at some point the AI will automatically translate them for me and I'll be able to catch up on your episodes. But I, I was so excited to see that you launched this project. Like Like you said, you know, we need more perspectives and information like this for all of the different language communities that you know don't have access to or maybe just are not as comfortable with or don't connect as much with all of the resources that are in these larger language groups like English and so I really commend you for this effort I think it's going to be really valuable for the people who tune who tune in I hope so yeah we, we just decided to to spend time more effectively than than just looking the whole day oh sure or Instagram, yeah. just I, I just wanted to give people also something back. Yeah, I, I, I got very much from from other people the last 10 years. And I just want to give something back. Um, even the, the young generation to, to give them, yeah, something about my experience in, in the 25 years on the farm, also from from other farmers, their experience, so they don't have to make all the the mistakes we made yeah sure sure <laughs> yeah i think many of us hope that as well like to help other people who aspire to reach ecological restoration and health and vitality without having to go through all of the trial and error and difficulties that many of us have had to do in order to achieve the nominal success that we're still working to build on top of maybe help to shortcut other people's learning journeys and help them avoid some of the pitfalls that we all fell for um, well, I'm so glad that you're helping to make this available. I, well, I really appreciate how much effort you put into sharing your story, your journey, the reality of what you're going through and the inspiration for, you know, talking about how much improvement you've seen in, all right, you know, maybe it's been 10 years, but it's still a very relatively short amount of time, especially when you compare it to your neighbors, like you said, um, but yeah, so thank you for taking the time to put that out there. I commend you for, for putting this out in the podcast. I'm sure I speak for other German speakers as well. 
that, uh, that having a voice and a perspective like this is really valuable and encouraging for people who are starting out on their own regeneration journeys on their farms. So look, let's, let's put a bookmark in it for now. I'm sure we'll catch up again real soon, hopefully in person before too long, because I'm going to be in Germany in May. And welcome. And uh, I, yeah, please share with me the links and stuff. I'll put these on the show notes and make sure that especially anybody who can understand German will tune into the content you're putting out as well. Yeah, no problem. It's been a real pleasure, my friend. Um, good job on taking care of your health and let's connect again soon. Thank you very much for giving me the chance to, to make one hour in English. This was <laughs> really, you really well. You should be really proud of your English. It's getting better every time that we chat. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. Thanks once again to Michelle. I've included links to his many resources online, including his new podcast. You'll find valuable resources on all of them, and they're all on the show notes at regenerativeskills.com. Now, before we wrap this up, just remember that these episodes are only the beginning of the learning resources, design and coaching services, in-person courses, and interactive community that are available through Regenerative Skills. The Discord server is our free community where you can connect with other like-minded listeners, exchange ideas, stories, tips, and resources, as well as interact with me directly and quite a few former guests from this show. Our Instagram account, at regen underscore skills, is the best place to see the projects that me and the team are working on, both for clients and collaborators, as well as on our own properties. I'll also be announcing the certification courses, workshops, and gatherings that we've got coming up later this year. If you're interested in getting dedicated support for your own project, you can now schedule a free planning session with one of our team members through the request form on our website. You can also find all the links, show notes, and past resources there at regenerativeskills.com. We truly believe that no matter your experience, your knowledge, abilities, resources, or background, you can be a powerful force for regeneration on this planet, and we're here to help you find your path. So as always, remember to keep taking those little steps every day towards a regenerative future, and I'll be right by your side along the way.